our readings from 1 Timothy chapter 6, starting at verse 11, can be found on page 1194 of the Church Bibles. 1194, 1 Timothy chapter 6. We're reading from verse 11 to the end of the chapter. Final charge to Timothy. But you, man of God, flee from all of this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. In the sight of God, who gives life to everything, and of Christ Jesus, who, while testifying before Pontius Pilate, made the good confession, I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which God will bring about in his own time. God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see. To him be honour and might for ever. Amen. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, not to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to your care. Turn away from godless chatter and the opposing ideas of what is falsely called knowledge, which some have professed, and in doing so have departed from the faith. Grace be with you all. And so if I'm going to ask Paul Young if he'd like to come and join me. Uh, Paul used to be on the staff here, and they're quite good to find out one or two bits and bobs. As I guess you may well know, he heads up off the fence. Welcome. Thank you for coming back to BH. Thank you, brother. <laughs> tell, us, um, tell us, say, the last three months or so, what's, what's been, what, what are the good news stories from, for you and for off the fence, say? Well, I, I, and you've got about 20 seconds, I, okay? I, I, you look I, like I, you've got a great big script here. Three, three, three. Well, well, things change so quickly off the fence. I'm not even sure how many staff I've got. We've taken on two more, I think, this week, and it continues to grow at quite a pace. Monica will be able to tell you how many staff we've got. <laughs> I mean, uh, uh, and uh, it just grows. We see 500 school children uh, a week. Uh, we, I've got something really exciting with our hygiene for all vans for the homeless at the moment. We've got the hygiene van that gives all the little bits uh, to keep people alive. And then we've got things like uh, the laundrette. On the 22nd of August at 2 o'clock, 37 Portland Road, we're launching our shower van for the homeless. So if you'd like to come, we've got the mayor cutting the ribbon and uh, it'd be a great one. We're the mayor's charity since then. We are up for the Queen's Award. Uh, we're also up for royal patronage. So a lot of things happening off the fence. But most of all, most important, people are coming to know Jesus. The uh, That was good, eh? I saved that <laughs> thinking, oh, I'll tell oh, you, this is, this is more exciting. Oh. This Friday, I got these back, the impact reports. 
brand new. Not even my staff have seen this. I've brought a few along to our special place, Bishop Annington. If anybody would like one, I've got some. But they're so hot that they singe your fingers. They're good. (laughs) Uh, Uh, Looking ahead, what, what would you like us to pray for in particular? Well, we've got some major decisions. We go into a whole period where we look at our five-year planning. We've got a team day this this week to really look and review. You know, we're growing at such a pace. What kind of uh, buildings do we need? What kind of infrastructure? How to develop it? We just want to make Christ known. And to do that, we just continue to build and develop. And uh, God has been very, very gracious to us. And uh, it's just great to be with the team that I'm with. Great to see God doing new things. And I'm looking forward to, for myself, been doing it now for 21 years. Actually, I've been doing Off the Fence really for 25 years. It took four years for it to become a charity. But yes, 25 years. I'm taking a break in the end of August for a couple of months just to relook. Where do we want to go for that last kind of run that last few years i'm not 24 anymore i'm uh i'm a lot older and i feel it and just knowing what i can do how old are you i'm 55 55 and uh but i feel a lot older but god has been very very gracious and uh, and we get to see change I, i mean to see so many schools that were so anti now open to the gospel to see so many I mean, Gateway, the women's project growing, the the project with the homeless just continues to grow and develop all the time. Thank you for praying. Thank you for standing with us. There's so much more to be done for the Lord in this city, and it's great to partner with you. Get a impact report, please. Thanks, Paul, very much. Uh, I want to get you preaching, so don't yeah, go yeah. away. Uh, yeah, that's your time, your, not my yeah, time. Yeah, your sermon Barbara. notes are here, okay? So, uh, <laughs> over yeah, to yeah, you. Thank Thanks you. for being with us tonight. Oh, it's, it's wonderful. In, in fact, it's one of the only times I've been preaching here when you're still here, Phil. You usually go away when I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, this could be a big mistake. <laughs> We're looking at 1 Timothy 6, verses 11 to 21. So, please, uh, get to your Bibles page 1194 and it's a wonderful passage as I always do whenever I'm preaching or speaking uh, in a different place I like to do one thing I like to go over where it is that I'm preaching from so I'm not just plucking it out of the sky I like to give an overview so we'll be looking at the overview of 1 Timothy it's not very long we'll just get the overview and see why it was written we'll then focus it in on a little bit more and look at the chapter 6 and see what Paul is building up to. Then we'll get to these verses. So the Apostle Paul writes this letter. In fact, he writes three letters. 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy and Titus. These were his last letters. He is a condemned man. Within a very short time, he would be marched to the city wall and there he would have his head taken off at the city gate. He would become the next Christian martyr. Paul had finished the race. A great life would end. So this is an urgent letter. It's something Paul wants to get over. 
both Timothy a Jew and Titus a Gentile have been trained well by Paul. Their job was to go to the different fledgling churches where error had seeped in and put it right and get the church ready to reach out to the world. That was Paul's vision. Paul had a very special mentoring relationship to Titus, but it would be left to Timothy to take on Paul's mantle. So Timothy had already, of course, helped Paul with Thessalonians, Corinthians, Philippians, and Philemon. He had shared in Paul's ministry. Paul had treated him like a son. You see that in chapter 1. He finishes the letter by saying, sort out the church in Ephesus quickly, as you can then come and join me in my last few weeks. Paul's time was ticking away very quickly. So Paul wrote to Timothy at Ephesus on how to lead the church there. Ephesus was a very, very wealthy port city, renowned for the great temple of Diana. Wealth and power over people was prevalent. The rich had taken advantage of the poor. So Paul writes this letter. It seemed was that the gospel always leads to practical, visible changes in the believer's lives. You cannot have Jesus and the Holy Spirit living within you without a major lifestyle change. Our lives must and will always lead to godliness. And that godliness will impact our pockets. It will impact how we deal with people. It will impact our view of the poor and the shortness of our life. It will impact our investment into eternal things. You see, the false teachers had crept into the church in Ephesus. They had been greedy and they'd become arrogant, promoted themselves, spinning pleasures and fables. And their lifestyle had brought shame to the message of Jesus. Paul argues throughout this whole letter, there is no separation between belief and faith. You need to be progressing into godliness. And false teaching will lead you back to being bound up, being slaves to pleasure, slaves to money and slaves to people. Everything God created, he argues, is good. It is to be appreciated but not worshipped. Only God needs to be on the throne of your life. He will not share it with another. So Paul argues this. Practical godliness leads to great contentment. In all things, contentment in wealth and in poverty, we need to be those going closer to Jesus because our eternal home is being built for us. We have enough. We have more than enough, he says, as we are part of the army of God, making sure that the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Whatever you do, he says, don't fritter it away. Look for more and more what we can do for him. So true contentment, he argues, is that you can't buy it with money. There were 60 million slaves in the Roman Empire. They had a terrible life. The apostles and the early Christians 
always lived on the edge daily. Their bodies were in chains, but their souls were free. And they were sons and daughters of the living God, heading for eternity. There were Christian slaves, two-thirds of them made up the church. And them two-thirds changed the attitude of Rome. They were different. They gained respect for the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul argues again and again and again in this letter, money is not the problem. It can do wonderful things, save lives, change lives. It gives shelter. It gets the gospel around the globe. Money is not the root of evil, but the love of it is. Why? When a man comes to love it for its own sake, not for what it can do, but just to have it, then he becomes a slave to it. So many times through the Bible, it warns against institutional blindness. It's a terrible thing. The Bible is radical about the poor. I read Philippians the other day. I was giving a message earlier today. Paul is radical. I remember the first time when I read the Good Samaritan. I thought, this is mind-blowing, what he's saying to them. But my life would change round forever when I got to that last few words of Jesus and he said, go and do likewise. My life was never going to be the same after that. The veil of money has never been about how much money you have, but how much money has you. So we get into chapter 6. Chapter 6 is about, I'm a child of God, heaven bound. As Paul says to Timothy, the aims of the Christian can so easily be summed up by three words. Flee, follow, fight. That's what chapter 6 is about. There are things we need to run away from. Avoid them at all costs. We are to follow after righteousness, after godliness, after faith, after love, steadfastness and gentleness. It's not a picnic we're on, it's a fight we're on. And when all may deny Jesus, and they might scorn Jesus, we're to stand and to stand firm. Fight for what is right. Paul keeps on reminding Timothy about the shortness of life. A shroud has no pockets, you can't take it with you. I remember when I was a young lad, one of our only school trips, they said, oh, we're going to go and see a king. I thought, well, this would be good. So we all got onto the coach up to London. They said the king had brought his whole entire gold with him. We got off the coach and there was a great queue. And we queued up to see his royal treasures. And they were quite royal or incredible. But you know... Within very long, I thought this was doing the king not one ounce of good. For that king's name was King Tutankhamun. He'd been dead, dead for centuries. Paul says here, how much do you leave behind? The answer of it is all of it. But I'm off to the throne room where things do not rust, where there's no pain. 
no parting, no sorrow. The triune God dwells there. Doesn't that give you comfort on this hot, sultry night? It gives me comfort. The secret of contentment is not to add to our possessions, but take away from our desires. I've heard that wealth can become like seawater. The more you drink, the thirstier you become. So Paul has said, watch yourself. Your bodies are dying. It's wearing out. Your mind needs to be content. Be content for yourself and where God has placed you, but fight for the poor. Fight for the poor. Be radical about it. So we see in chapter 6, contentment and godliness jumps out again and again and again in this chapter. People see us. They should know that we are different. We mustn't park worldliness. We must move toward Christ-likeness. And the apostle is very practical. Godliness shows in the workplace, in the kitchen, in day-to-day activities. It's related to living life very well. And all the greed and all the lies and waste, let us put aside. So we get to the verses. The first verses of 1 Timothy 6, verses 11. But you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance and gentleness. Fight the good, fight of the faith. Take hold of eternal life to which you were called when you were made. Your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. In the sight of God who gives life to everything. And of Christ Jesus, who while testifying before Pontius Pilate, made the good confession. I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which God will bring about in his own time. God, the blessed and the only ruler, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light whom no one has seen or can see. To him be glory and honour and might forever. Amen. Wow, that's a great ending, isn't it? Paul is saying life is not a hobby or a game. Follow hard after Jesus Christ. Take up your cross and follow him. Fight the good fight of faith. Even if the world is going mad around you, stand alone if you must. Hold on to the appearing of Jesus Christ. Measure your life in eternal things. Then Paul just kicks off, doesn't he? He he, he kicks it off, he gets so excited about things. He goes, King of kings, Lord of lords, the sovereign one who alone has immortality. He dwells in unapproachable light. The apostle is stuck in wonder now. What a marvellous thing. This is a man on the way to death. But he's thinking about his God. The man of God has fixed his eyes on heaven, on eternity, on God. And when the world might go crazy, the elements may burn, circumstances get very rough, and the banks run out of money, Keep your gaze on him and eternity. For the child of God lifts his eyes above the one 
above everything that goes on to the one who sits on the throne. That's where our standard of life must be. I don't care what the scholars say or the politicians or the dictators. It's God I will answer to. And he holds the future, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. That's a wonderful thing, isn't it, Bishop Addington? To know that all is going to be well. Paul is saying, Christians, you need to be on the ma- on his majesty's service. We are royal ambassadors. We are not going to conform to the surroundings around us but be true to our royal heraldry. It's him who sent me. I serve the one true living God. We remain heaven bound. I respect those who he has put above us in authority in this life, but nevertheless, I have diplomatic immunity. My orders come from the throne room. I live here, but my orders come from the throne room above. Am I willing to die for it? Paul is saying, you watch. You watch. And just a few weeks later, he'd be dead. That's what Paul is passing on to Timothy. We we are ambassadors of Christ. We're a colony of heaven. Yes, we live here, but the world does not set the tone of our lives. I'm heading to a throne room. All I desire is to hear this one thing, good and faithful servant. That's what Paul is saying. What job do we do? Office worker, accountant, magistrate, shop worker, charity worker, baker, nurse, school teacher, charity worker. That does not define you, Christian friend. You are ambassadors of the King of King and the Lord of Lords. Paul, the apostle, I'm caught up with you. I'm caught up in the wonder of it. And this is what this man of God, once he's been telling us we're ambassadors, he goes on to the second part of the passage. Command those who are rich in the present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. What is Paul doing here? He brings a conversation from being ambassadors of the living God and he brings it down to money. Why on earth would you do that, Paul? How could you? Well, Paul knew money is such an important part of the Christian life. It's probably one of the best tests for our love for Jesus and the way we handle it. That's what was going wrong in Ephesus. Paul knew Jesus had said more about money than he'd said about salvation. He talked more about money than he did prayer. More about money than he did heaven. God is not against money, friends. God is against greed. Contentment is the biblical 
as a biblical model, we are to strive for. In little or much, be content. Don't let money become your God or your master. We are merely stewards, he tells us. Jesus said, where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. So invest in heaven and the kingdom. Our money must not stick to our fingers. Because God is gracious and full of grace. And we are to be generous. It's the mark of the Christian church. The fraudsters then were saying, money can buy you freedom, respect, happiness, control, power, security. Does it? Paul says, only God provides these things properly and lasting. Paul continues to argue here, if you have money, you must not get a superior complex or a false idea of security. It's all passing. It's all temporary. And I say again, the love of money is the problem, not money itself. It can do such good. Such incredible good. The Christian world in the UK have enough money alone to pay for the gospel to go round the world a hundred times over. But too often it's locked away. It's inactive and it's rusting away and fading in so many cases. You know, I have a problem with tithing. I have a real problem. The problem is this. You've got to give 10%. The problem I have is that you think 90% of it is yours. It's not. 100% belongs to God. It's all God's. And he will be the auditor of our accounts one day. What a day that will be when the books are open. The tithe was a tax in the Old Testament. And we think that the Jews paid 10% of their income. They didn't. They had the temple tax as well. They paid 25%. Now, we're not under law, praise God. And it's your decision how much you need to give to God. It's your responsibility and mine. But it's all God's. Therefore, we need to be generous and global and investing in eternal things. For the more fascinated we become with the toys of this world the more we forget that there's another world to come. It doesn't take large quantities, does it? For money to come between us and God. Just a little placed in the wrong positions will obscure our view. You know, when my middle daughter was a little girl, I took her up to Devil's Dyke. And I said to her, Emily, have a look out. Look at the beauty. Look at the wonder. We'd given her 250 peas, two ice creams. And she said, look at this, Dad. And she took the 50 peas and she said, devil's dyke, no devil's dyke. Devil's dyke, no devil's dyke. She was putting them over her eyes so she couldn't see anymore. It's so easily done that our money gives us an obscure view of what God is. We need to give until it bites, to be rich in good deeds, laying up a firm foundation in heaven, stopping the trinket buying, 
more and more mentality that we have, more trinkets, more. A rich man, it says in my Bible, had a barn that was full and he wanted more and more and he was told by God that night, you fall for tonight, it all ends. God is watching very closely. What you keep, you lose. What we give, we have. Whatever is given to Christ is immediately touched with immortality. What a wonderful thing. And very lastly, Paul talks to Timothy. You have been entrusted with something so precious. He goes on, verse 20. Timothy, God, what has been entrusted to your care? Turn away from godless chatter. And the opposing ideas of what is falsely called knowledge, which some have professed and in some doing have departed from the faith. Grace be with you all. Avoid the godless chatter, he says. Don't waste your life. It's so very short and it flies by so very quickly. God, what you've been entrusted with. Hold on to it. Share it again and again and again. Yes, people think they know better. The scientists, the politicians, the teachers, the beer drinkers. Chat, chat, chat. They tell us the Bible is no longer relevant. It's politically incorrect. But you know what? It has the power to change nations. And Jesus Christ changed Paul David Young My life forever. And I've never been the same since that day when Jesus come and met with me. I'm so pleased to stand on the foundations of Bible truth. They think they know better than the one who holds the universe in his hands. They know better than the creator, the sustainer and the king. The one who counts the universe and gives life. When there's only death, don't make me laugh. The more I get to know these influential people, the more I realize they don't know. The truth is in the word of God. It's inspired and God breathed. And that can change lives for whatever darkness, whatever drug they've been in, whatever darkness they've seen or felt or known. That book... And Jesus Christ changes lives today. You have the words of eternal life. Stand firm. Grace be with you. It's all God's and he gives freely. So let us give freely and change the world for him. What a letter. Thank you, the Apostle Paul. It starts with God and it ends with godliness. Because of you, unbelievers will get to know what he is like. It's your responsibility and mine. And they look at our example. All things are ours in Jesus Christ. Let us go and win the world and change it for his name's sake. For we have been given everything we need to be transformers of this life, of this nation, of this world. Let us pray. Father, I want to know you, but 
So often my coward heart is so scared of giving up its trinkets. I cannot part with them without that inward bleeding and I do not try to hide from you the terror of some of that parting when I have to give. And just give things up that I never wanted to give up. But I come trembling and I do come. Please root from my heart all those things which I've cherished so long and which have become a very part of my living self so that you may enter and dwell there without rival. Then shall our hearts have no need of the sun to shine in it or the need of the world's trinkets or the greed that so often I find myself in. For you will be the light of my life, whatever the cost. And there should be no night there. But me and my friends here will be part of that great army where the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Sign us up, Lord God. Help us be soldiers. Help us live lightly with our bag on our back. And help us be changing of the cities and the nation and the world. For your name's sake. Amen.